on the hiring side, I, I've kind of picked up over the years some attributes of individuals that make them work well within a startup. They, they have a lot of grit, they have a lot of curiosity, they have a lot of humility, and they have adaptability. Hello and welcome to this episode of People at Work. I'm Dustin and I'll be your host today. So as always, People at Work is brought to you by Jostle. Uh, your working life can be overwhelming with constant stream of information and people and intranets are supposed to fix this, but usually there were files go to die. So Jostle is built to really tame that complexity and help simplify things. Today, I'm super excited to be speaking with Brian Manning, who is the Senior Vice President, Head of Growth at PatientPing. And today we're going to be chatting a little bit about how to lead during hypergrowth and the challenge that comes with it when it comes to maintaining your culture as you grow quickly. So Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dustin. It's great to be here with you. Cool. I'm looking forward to this. A great place to start would be, could you maybe give our listeners a bit of background about yourself and what led you to where you are now? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So I have been working in high growth startups for most of the last 20 years across five different organizations, mostly doing sales, business development, account management, customer success type work. I've done that again across five startups across, across three cities, San Francisco, New York, and Boston. Most of the companies are, are venture-backed um, technology companies. Most recently, I've been really into healthcare technology. I'm currently at PatientPing, which I can talk a little bit about. But prior to PatientPing, I spent five years at, uh, four, yeah, four and a half years at uh, ZocDoc in New York City, which is an online medical appointment platform. And now I'm at PatientPing, where I lead what we call growth, which really encompasses our, our sales teams, our account management team, government affairs, sales operations, marketing, sort of the commercial part of the company. And PatientPing is a care coordination platform that allows disparate healthcare providers to collaborate on shared patients. And so, you know, the big problem we have, one of the big problems we have here in the United States is that you have patients that are sick or elderly and they're seeing five or 10 or 20 different clinicians throughout the course of a year or any period of time. And those clinicians, unfortunately, don't communicate well with one another because they're on different software systems, they're in different geographies, they work for different companies, have different you know, sort of payment incentives. So we've built a nice platform that brings everybody into the same place to make sure patients get the, the best care. Nice. Yeah, I'm not as familiar with the, the US system, obviously, but in Canada, it's there's ge generally a modernization needed in the healthcare space. So we see that same problem up here as well. Yeah. Um, and I actually worked in healthcare for a bit, not on the tech side. So I've seen how, how things are. So I definitely see the value of that product. Yep. Yep. No, it's very important. Very important. Cool. Um, so what we're here to chat about today is really leading during hypergrowth. And you've been through it a few times. You have probably the wounds to show it of some of the things that went really well and some of the things you could probably learn from. Um, I'd love maybe if you could just explain a little bit some of the differences and maybe some of the struggles when it comes to leading a team and maintaining that culture when you're growing very, very quickly. Yeah, geez, that's a good question. There, there's, there's definitely lots of challenges. Um, you know, I, I think the, I think the, the big thing that comes to mind is the, how the company transforms itself and the importance of each individual within that company, particularly the people that are there at an early stage, 
have to kind of reinvent themselves and reinvent the job that they do every couple of quarters. Um, you know, with patient ping uh, specifically, I, I believe the company's doubled four times since I've, I've joined the company. Wow. Um, and so it, you know, it became a very different company than when I joined and then it doubled again, it became a very different company and it doubled again, it became a very different co very company. And so I, I've had to be really careful uh, about making sure I keep up, right? And making sure that obviously my job, we can talk about that, my job changed dramatically. I, you know, when I started, I was a salesperson. I was the first salesperson in the company and now I lead you know, multiple, multiple teams. So I sort of, my, my actual job description changed and what was important for me to be doing changed um, and then even the way that we approach problems um, change. Um, and so it's that, it's that adaptability, that flexibility, um, that ability to kind of reinvent yourself and, and really change as the situation changes that I think is so important. And I think, you know, the hardest part of that is that that's not for everybody. Um, and people may not know that that's not for them when they join a high growth startup. Um, and they, you know, they kind of learn the hard way. Um, and so I think it's about it's really important to set expectations around what people are getting into, um, keeping up to date with people on, um, how are, how is the company changing? How are they changing? Is this still somewhere that they want to be? Um, because again, it's not for everybody. So that's, that's probably the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, you see that as company grows, um, they get to a certain size and then all of a sudden they maybe the people didn't grow with the company quite as well, or they didn't anticipate it. And then they bring in a whole new leadership team who's done it before. And that's right. Transition. So it, I can see how it's tough for individuals to kind of keep up and stay along for the ride. Absolutely. Right. Yep. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And the other side of it too, is you're adding people in some cases incredibly quickly. Right. Um, and yeah. teams are growing. Do you have any tips around kind of that hiring and onboarding process? Cause when you're hiring at a normal pace, you can take your time a little bit. Maybe you can vet a little more. You have the time to onboard. Uh, but when the wheels are falling off, it's got to be tough to keep up. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, on the, on the hiring side, um, I, I've kind of picked up over the years some attributes of, of individuals that make them uh, work well within a startup. Um, and I've kind of just kind of seen consistently the people that do well in these types of environment, they, they have a lot of grit. They have a lot of curiosity they have a lot of humility and then they have a lot, they have the ability to, to adapt. So adaptability, um, th those are kind of the four consistent, like interest. So regardless of your experience, those are the four kind of intrinsic, uh, traits that I, I look for in, in those people, because if you don't have those, those intrinsics, no matter how qualified you are, um, you know, you're not going to, um, you're, you're likely not going to be able to level up and succeed in all of the, throughout all the change. So I, I really kind of filter people out on those types of attributes. And then of course, look at their experience and make sure that they can you know, do the job they're being hired for. But I do, particularly in the early days, I do lean heavy, really, really heavy on those, um, those intrinsics. And I think when you think about onboarding, um, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of um, consistent with those traits, which is like, it, it's a lot of like self onboarding. Again, it, it, again, I'm speaking about sort of the, the early days where like nobody has time to put together a sophisticated training program um, to get people up to speed. I mean, it just, it's just, you're just doing way too many things. Um, and you're not gonna likely, again, in the early days, you're likely in a high growth company, you're just not gonna get, you know, you're not going to get a very high quality onboarding experience. The companies will do the best they can, but you're, you're just not going to get it. So I think a part of the onboarding, part of being successful with onboarding in an early days high growth startup is to recruit people that can do it themselves, right? Or, or will at least be comfortable 
in an environment where they have to really lean on their own kind of self onboarding. I think that's, that's really key. And again, I think the really important thing is to set that expectation up front that, you know, you're not walking into, you know, GE with some sophisticated onboarding program, like this is going to be, you know, this is going to be hard. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense, especially hiring for those, those intrinsic traits, because as you mentioned, their job could change in four months, they could be thrust into a leadership role doing something entirely different. So 100%, you need someone who can adapt. I, I often question around that as well, even something as simple as what was the last thing you learned or taught yourself, you can learn a lot from that and how people kind of think about it, right? Totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I did. That's a great one. Yeah. And I think, yeah, and I think like talking to people about how they've evolved, you know, if they, if, if somebody's coming to, even if they're in a large company, if someone's coming to me and I'm interviewing them, I, I like to understand like, how are they different now compared to when they joined that company? And how did they reinvent themselves, reinvent the work that they do, make it more efficient and really just kind of change throughout those five years? Because if everything stayed the same for those five years, they're, they're going to struggle, you know, when they understand that they suddenly have to reinvent what they're doing every, every couple of quarters. Um, so that, yeah, I agree. That's an important part of it as well. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, the other side of it is when it's a, a small team, so you have 10 people, the culture is pretty easy to, to grasp and see because it's a small group of people and it's led from the top. But then as you add these people who are brand new, uh, you eventually hit that tipping point where you have more new people than experienced people and the culture yes could go upside down at that time, right? So how did you manage that to maintain that kind of cohesion, cohesion and culture as you grew? Oh yeah, I, it's such a good point. I, 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 I think that's, that might be the biggest challenge in a, in a high growth company is like you said, you know, in the early days when it's 10 people, you're all, you know, you're all hands is in one room and it's more of a discussion. And when you talk about the company vision, the company strategy, if somebody doesn't get it, you know, they just ask the question and then, and then the conversation moves to get, make that person comfortable. You can't do that. That's not possible with 150 people. It's just, it just, it doesn't work. And so how do you maintain that level of clarity in the mission and vision, make sure people's concerns are being addressed, make sure people's questions are being addressed. Um, and it's a real, real challenge that I think, I think kind of sneaks up on a lot of early stage companies as they grow that they don't necessarily take seriously enough and build enough process around, um, uh, you know, around having that clarity. And, and also as the company grows, you know, there are people that like that, you know, of course they care about your mission and vision, but they, they don't may not fully understand it and they may not really feel like they need to understand it right there. Maybe if you have a, um, you know, a person that's, uh, you know, doing IT work and, you know, setting up computers and things like that, like they may not feel like they really need to know the full vision and mission. And so how do you change your communication style as you add roles that are, you know, that, that become a little bit less core to the strategy of the company? And I think, you know, the things that, that I would say that have worked are um, just insane amounts of repetition. So, um, you know, very clear, this is, this is the, the, the vision of the company, this is the mission of the company, and this is how we're gonna do it, so this is our strategy, this is how we're gonna accomplish those things. Um, and just, you literally repeat those things until you're blue in the face. If you think you've said it too much, you haven't said it enough. Um, and uh, so, and again, I think it's, it's finding ways to do that at a company all hands, very simple, straightforward messaging, allowing lots of time for Q&A, the same thing being repeated at a team level, allowing 
uh, on a you know some frequency of basis. The same thing being said with you know line managers um, within those teams that are saying the same thing to their to their teams, and just that constant repetition, um, I think is is uh, is crucial. I think the other thing is with a, with a startup often you're you're allow you're you're able to be more transparent than maybe a larger company that needs to be a little bit more careful in what kind of information they they may distribute out to employees. And so I've found the companies that are you know, transparent, really transparent in the early days, it, it, things, things are a lot easier as you grow. Yeah. And it, there's kind of an interesting parallel there with like a lot of us have switched to remote work and we're adjusting to that. And you quickly realize you have to be overly transparent and you have to over communicate and be intentional with it. It's kind of a similar thing, right? As you grow, you really have to, for the first time, concentrate and think and be intentional on it, um, which, yeah, it's a total shift from when you go to the kitchen and have drinks or hang out after work and it kind of gets organically built. So I can see that would be tough. It's so true. It's funny. I was thinking about this. It's it's interesting um, where, like, if if you're in a startup and there's, say, 10 people, Mm-hmm. The, and the CEO is speaking to those 10 people. Like I said earlier, it, it, it's a conversation. It's, a, it's probably a very sophisticated conversation because everyone in the room understands kind of everything, right? Because everybody's doing everything. Yeah. When you get to be, you know, salesforce.com in, in your, you know, tens of thousands of employees and you go to their company all hands, it's really like employee of the month. Here's the charities we're giving to. Here's, you know, it's not really company strategy. And, and it's it's a lot more fluff, and I find that interesting. Obviously, I I haven't been in a company large as Salesforce, so I've never gotten to that point. But the point is, like the 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 way you you the, the as you said, the intentionality of your communication, it, it just becomes so much more important. You know, the, the, the all hands are scripted, right? Everything is scripted. The, the executives that present have practiced their presentation prior to giving the presentation as opposed to just a free form conversation in a conference room with 10 people. So I think, I just think it, I think you're right. The intentionality I think is a really important point in communication. Yeah. And I think there's definitely a mind shift there, right? When you get um, a founder CEO, for example, in the early days, that being transparent, speaking off the cuff, uh, being very open probably comes naturally. Whereas when you're Salesforce size, oftentimes uh, a founder might not be the best fit there, right? Because it becomes very scripted, maybe a little corporate. So there, there is, sure. I think, a tipping point there as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's always a good, it's always a good question around a, for a founder, when are they no longer the right person for the company? Um, I think about that with myself personally, you know, when am I no longer the right sales leader for, for this company? Um, you know, uh, I, I, I think it was the, I think it was box, where the first sales, he was either the first salesperson or the first VP of sales. He made it from like 5 million in revenue to, you know, a billion, a billion plus or whatever, at least a billion plus valuation. Um, and that, like really, really unusual people can, can level up at that level. You're usually kind of good at one stage or a couple of stages, not, not all of them. Yeah, def- definitely. I mean, that's impressive that he was actually able to keep that going for that long because, yeah, you don't see that too often at all. Yeah, very unusual, very yeah. unusual. And, there, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? I, I, like, it's totally fine that, you know, you, you, you can't be great at everything. You know, you, 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 you probably can't be really good at an early stage if you're really good at a late stage and vice versa. Yeah, yeah, no, I could see that. I mean, it's the same thing just in general, going from super large company, very tiny niche role to first sales, first operations person and expecting that to work. Um, Absolutely. It's just different yeah. people. 
I, I think the other thing that can be really difficult is, yeah, you're adding people, um, but eventually and usually very quickly, a lot of those people become kind of the middle management in the company. Um, yeah. And just in general, in companies, middle management, maybe a little bit neglected. They kind of know the vision and strategy. They definitely know the hands-on, um, but it's a difficult place to maintain culture. Um, yeah. was, was that something you saw as a, a bit of a struggle as you built kind of those like tiered management levels? Yeah, a little bit. Um, you know, with my particular team, um, the, uh, you know, the first three, yeah, one, two, three, the first three salespeople I hired are now, um, uh, my sales manager, sales leaders within my sales teams. Um, and so they, they all were able to level up. Um, you know, out of sort of an individual contributor role and into a, a management role. Um, it's, it, you know, I, in this particular company, it's, I kind of lucked out. I mean, it's a, they're, they're just a complete dream team. Um, they're just, you know, phenomenal. So I, I, I did get lucky, I think, with that. And I think, you know, the reason, I, I wouldn't say I got fully lucky because I, I as I said, I, I really recruited around those uh, intrinsics that I mentioned earlier. And, you know, they, these guys have that humility, um, that grit, you know, adaptability, et cetera, um, to continue to thrive and continue to, you know, be productive and positive and, and, um, engaged, you know, as their role has changed, um, uh, where I don't think, I, I think we've certainly felt, we probably felt it in some areas of the company, but uh, as I said, I think if you recruit the right people in the early days, as their role changes, they, they can be really comfortable with it. Yeah. And I think that's a tough, maybe a tough shift for a lot of hiring managers who are, they look at your resume, they think, okay, they've done this before, this is the right person. Um, and sometimes those, those intrinsics get overlooked a lot of the time, I think. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's, a, very, it's a very, very important thing to, uh, to test for. Yeah. And I think so, you've been through this a couple times. Um, I'm sure going through it this time, you brought some of the learnings from the past. But say you could go back in time and think of another scenario back then, what kind of advice would you give yourself or maybe what would you change um, in previous times of this? I think the, the, the biggest thing I would have done differently is, um, is a much heavier investment in the early days in sales operations. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I, I'd say that at multiple companies actually, um, where, uh, it, it, when you have a really high functioning sales operations organization, um, it's just incredibly valuable. Like the, the investment is just so worth it in terms of the quota attainment, you know, the sales productivity, um, be better forecasting, you know, being able to manage your board and be, being able to manage the rest of your leadership team. Um, I, I think those things are, are invaluable. And, and it's because part of it too is because it's, it's like these, these topics I'm talking about here, are just so difficult to get right. You know, you're, you're trying to build scale when you don't have scale. Yeah. And if you don't have a really high functioning, you know, operations support around your, your revenue organization, I think it's, um, I think it's really challenging. Now, of course the challenge is it's like, Oh, well, if I have an extra, you know, a hundred thousand laying around, I'll probably just hire another salesperson. That's the temptation that I certainly fell into. And I see a lot of people fall into. Um, but it, I think it is worth slowing down and making that investment. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And you've kind of seen that maybe that domino fall first on the dev side, uh, like DevOps is one of the, the hotter spaces right now to hire in and 
growing like crazy. And then you have RevOps on the sales and marketing side that I think is going down a similar path right now. I totally agree. I totally agree. Yeah. And it's just, it's so hard, right? Cause you're like, Oh, I'll just get another engineer. I'll just get another salesperson. Like that's your instinct. Yeah. And to, to break that instinct in the early days, is, it takes a lot of, a lot of discipline, but I would, I would advise people that are in this, you know, uh, in these, these early stage high growth companies to slow down and make that investment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, building more things, selling more things is, is interesting. You want to do that, taking the time to build process and structure things and measure things maybe not as sexy for some people. So you can see why it gets kind of pushed back, I think, but I agree that that needs to change. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then, so on the other side of, of the hype of hyper growth, you, most companies don't stay in that stage forever. I mean, you have the odd exception where they then switch to an acquisition model and just start buying up companies and grow that way. Um, but usually it does start to stabilize a bit. Um, I'm curious which, if you've been through that, maybe which shifts do you have to make from a culture leadership perspective when there isn't that frequent promotional path um, and maybe things slow down a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. It's very, very difficult. And, and, it, and it's sort of, you know, it's the nature of high growth, which is, you know, even you see these, um, these growth charts for the iPhone, you know, one of the most successful products in history, their growth is leveled off. Their growth is basically flat now. Yeah. Um, so no matter who you are, it's, it's, it's going to happen. And I think the company then starts to pivot more towards um, uh, cash efficient growth, profitable growth, um, more towards protecting what you've built, right? In the early days, you don't have anything, so there's nothing to protect. So just go, go, go. When you actually built a company, you, know, you need to start to say, okay, we've got a, a kind of a cash machine here that we need to protect. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a different job. I mean, that's a different, um, it's a different often a different profile of people that will thrive in that type of organization. Um, it requires hires that you kind of didn't need, know you need to make. It requires process that you probably never dreamed of, of, of having in place. And so um, it's just so important to go back to that. I, I think it's two things. So one is going back to that adaptability, right? Which is, can the people that were there in the early days move into a slower growth, more cash efficient, type of organization and, and thrive in that type of environment. Um, uh, you know, so, so again, recruiting for those types of people is really important. Um, and then being really honest with people as the company transforms that like, maybe this isn't the perfect spot for you anymore. Right. And, and being very candid and transparent and having those and, and creating some safety where you can have those conversations. I think, um, with, you know, with your teams have to have those conversations. I think it's really important because it becomes a different, it becomes a different animal that they didn't actually sign up for, you know, at the outset. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the nice thing, a bit of a trend I find now is some companies are kind of taking that approach from the start and they're maybe bootstrapping a bit, working towards profitability. So you still get that startup feel, but it's a totally different dynamic. Um, yeah. So it's nice that people have that option now, whereas in previous years, it was just, raise a bunch of money, grow as fast as you can, hopefully go public or get acquired. Uh, so <laughs> there's a bit of a shift there, I think, which is interesting. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Yeah, that, that's, uh, that, that's true. And I think particularly with what's happening with the economy right now, um, I think a lot of the startups, a lot of startups that are kind of, maybe we're looking at venture capital, maybe looking you know, for more, maybe start more cash efficient, bootstrap it, um, slow down a little bit. I think and that's also, I think, a healthy thing for the, for the ecosystem in general. Um, yeah, I think you're right about that. Yeah, totally. And then on the flip side, on the, the VC side, it's kind of a 
almost a buy low opportunity. So you wonder if more money is going to pour in that way, right? It, it'll yeah. be interesting to see how this all pans out. It'll be very interesting. It'll be very, you know, people keep saying it was, uh, I think Airbnb and Uber launched in 2008, right in the middle of the financial crisis. So, you know, a lot of great companies get built in these, these difficult environments. So I think we'll see, I think we'll definitely see that. Yeah. No, companies across the board are, are having to adapt, not even just from the work from home, but offers have to be different. Uh, the old, like fly out and meet someone, shake their hand, build camaraderie, then sell approach, at least yeah. for now, for the next few months, not going to happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Have you had to make any kind of um, like adaptions or anything at all on your end? Any changes? Well, so we're, you know, we're in healthcare uh, and we sell to a variety of different um, customer segments. Um, and some of those customer segments, such as hospitals, nursing homes, home yeah. health agencies are, are extremely impacted um, by this, by this crisis. Luckily, there are aspects of our product that actually support our customers with, with this with this crisis. Um, and so that's that's been good. That's been actually really gratifying being able to to help them in a difficult environment. But in terms of, of new sales, uh, particularly with into the kind of the hospital segment, um, we've taken a different approach uh, away from sort of sell, sell, sell. Um, and that one, you know, that executives within health systems don't have a lot of time or any time to to take new new conversations. And a lot of them have frozen new program launches and new, new purchases for, for some period of time. And I think I got some great advice actually from an executive at a health system a couple of weeks ago uh, where he said, you know, it's going to be very difficult for organizations that are selling into these types of organizations to get new business. Um, and so his advice was um, really focus on brand. So focus on the, the, the brand of your company brand, obviously, as a as a supportive organization to their customers during this time, but also even for salespeople, like your actual personal brand and um, the way that you're perceived as, as rather than a, you know, a pushy salesperson, this is not the time to be a pushy salesperson, probably never is, but certainly not now. Um, rather than that, you know, being more of a, um, an advisor, a person who speaks to similar organizations and has, is, is tuned into what's going on with similar organizations and may be able to offer insights um, that are, that are going to help, their customers during this time, um, you know, help reduce friction, help uh, with ideas around how to manage a crisis, um, those sorts of things. And when we come out of this, which we inevitably will, of course, um, I think uh, this, this individual was telling me those, those are the salespeople that are going to get the first phone call. Um, and so I think that's, uh, I think that's something I've been pushing my team to do. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. It's kind of a hunker down, be helpful and be top of mind once this all gets out. And then you get the the benefit of, in both our cases, actually your product and ours, we sell a product that helps during these times. Um, so you don't feel bad kind of providing info and providing value that way. Like it's a legitimate value, which is, is a exactly. nice position to be in. Exactly right. Yep. Yep. And it's, it's, how do you, how do you send that message, you know, in a, in a very uh, concise way such that they're not, you know, it doesn't feel like scammy or, or, you know, inconsistent with, you know, I, I think I wrote a blog post actually uh, a week ago about kind of selling in a, in a crisis. Um, and one of the things is, you know, every company in America has a COVID solution, right? Yeah. Um, I saw a paint company the other day as a COVID solution. So, <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, uh, I, I think it's an opportunity to be genuine, right. And, 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 and really, uh, uh, you know, don't not oversell in terms of what your product can do to help. Yeah, definitely. I mean, just to illustrate that, I saw a post the other day that said, um, 
a year ago, the ads were just buy a Toyota. Now they're, hey, I know we're all in a diff difficult time right now, but you should buy a Toyota. And that's, <laughs> that's really the only shift a lot of companies have made in their marketing, right? Um, right, right. So yeah, right. It's, I, I agree. Um, and I think all of us, like in your role, you get sold to all the time, I would imagine. Um, I definitely do. Um, and you take note of the people who are, are, are doing that approach and you probably see through it. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see what comes out of this for sure. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Cool. All right. Thank you so much, uh, Brian. I really appreciate that. Um, great discussion on how to lead during hyper growth. If, if our listeners want to learn a little bit more about you or about patient ping, uh, where should they go to do that? Sure. Uh, so you can find me at um, I, my, my blog and I've got links to my social stuff there. It's just briancmanning.com. Um, and of course, patient ping, uh, you can find us all over the place, but uh, patientping.com uh, will probably be the best place to start. Cool. Great. Thank you. I'll include those in the player description as well. Uh, so our listeners, you can access them there. Um, again, Brian, thank you so much. I really appreciated that. My pleasure. Thanks, Dustin. I really yeah, enjoyed it. Right. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of People at Work. If you enjoyed this episode, can you do me one quick favor and head on over to Apple Podcasts to leave us a five-star review? It helps others discover the podcast, and we love reading the reviews. If you haven't already subscribed, head on over to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, to subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. Thanks for listening. Thank you.